Hello and welcome to another instalment of Which Car Weekly. My name is Daniel Gardner and as is customary, I'm joined by some experts in their field to talk about something to do with cars. Could be anything. On this particular occasion, we thought because we're all spending a little bit more time at home for one reason or another lately, and that may mean indirectly that the television spends a little bit more time switched on, why don't we talk about the, the moving image of the car? Now, everything from a YouTube clip of someone doing a hill climb right up to the finest cinema uh, in history. Of course, wouldn't be uh, anywhere near as an enjoyable podcast just listening to this idiot. I'd like to welcome on several other idiots. Um, one of those you will be very familiar with is, of course, uh, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine, Andy Enright. Hello there. And joining us today our resident expert for the topic, Sean Lander, staff videographer at Bauer Media. Um, someone who we all usually see quite a lot of, but not so much these days. Sean, welcome to the Witch Car Weekly podcast. Good night, fellas. How you doing? It's nice that you're uh, in front of the camera for a change as opposed to behind it. It's a bit of a strange feeling, I'm not going to lie, but uh, I think <laughs> I could get used to this. Well, I, I was, you know, it's something maybe we should raise a little bit later, but uh, you, sh- you shouldn't be a stranger to being in front of the camera because you're a trained actor, aren't you, as well as a video wizard? Well, I trained in acting. I, I don't <laughs> know whether you call it a trained actor. <laughs> um, you know, like, a, a, yeah, I, I did I did do a bit of that as a, a young lad when I couldn't decide exactly what I wanted to do. So, yes, there was some time spent on stage and in front of the camera, but uh, I felt I found it a lot more fun to be behind instead. And that's what we want to talk to you about. Thank you for, for coming on the, the, the chat this week. Um, yeah, look, we, we work together a lot on the various things that we do at Witch Car and Wheels and all the other um, titles we have, whether it be for web videos or our TV series, Witch Car on Channel 10. Um, yeah, we work with you a lot, and I thought it was a really good opportunity. We chatted to some of our stills photographers before, but we've never actually had a videographer on. Um, and we really wanted to get your insight into you know how you do it. It, it it does seem to me i don't know i can't really speak for andy but i i see it all as a bit of a dark art you know we, i just stand in front of the camera or drive a car or whatever and then several days later this beautifully sort of composed thing comes back and i've no idea how any of it happened in between and we'd love to get a little bit of insight on how you go about and this is the same question we put to the other guys the, the photographers how do you take a picture of a car how do you make a video of a car where do you start uh, i mean it, it normally starts with you guys coming to us uh saying you know we're doing we've got this car i want to go here i want to do this and then for for us it's really not that different to what you do we have to figure out what that car is all about so we'll look into the car we'll study it so you know some cars might be all about the details some cars might be about the noise some cars might just be missing micros and we try and avoid those as I'm sure that you guys did too. But, you know, it's, it's all about looking at, at uh, that, that car's individual characteristics and then trying to build a story around that. So before we even go out to shoot anything, we're already thinking about how the edit's going to come together, how, whether, you know, whether it's going to be a montage, whether it's going to be an action piece, whether it's going to be slow, what music. So it's really all about finding the character of the car, building that character into the storyline that you guys are trying to tell with your words. And then we sort of, cut and paste it all together and yeah ends up on tv there's a there's a thing you do which i've never been able to get my head around well it's all of it i can't get my head around but there's this one particular skill that all of our videographers and photographers have got and that is to be able to see 
in your mind uh, uh, the way a car looks in the frame. And then, you know, I'll see you pointing a camera at something. I'm thinking, what on earth is Sean doing? Like, he's completely lost his mind. And then I see the image that you've captured through that. And I simply don't understand how you've managed to visualise that before you put the camera up to it. It just seems like it's going to be dreadful. And, but in the, and it always turns out absolutely brilliant. How do you do that? Is that a thing of practice or is it just sort of a, a, a creative thing? I think there's definitely, there has to be, like, to be able to do what you're describing, there's definitely a natural ability there, which is why I've never been any good at any other job, because I spend too much time daydreaming it off in my own head. So <laughs> you sort of, you know, everything we do, like, there's, there's nothing original when it comes to, to film or, or photography. It's, it's all just sort of reinventing and reimagining things that other people have done. So, you know, for, for us that, that shoot the videos, obviously something like Top Gear is the pinnacle and what they do, the way that they shoot the cars is just, it's absolutely the gold standard in, in filming cars. So a lot of it is we see that, we get inspired by that, and then it's us trying to keep that style moving forward and progressing. And that's what film and, and video has always been about, is about moving forward and making the next best thing and doing it as well as possible. So we see something and, and it might be, show or a movie or something where they've seen a car and they do a really cool shot we're like we'd love to do that and that goes in the bank and then six months ten years down the track where we're out shooting a particular car and it comes to us oh that's a great idea i could try and uh not recreate that not even homage it but just do our own version of it to to help build a better story and a better image for the people watching i've been to dunsfold where they film a lot of the top gear stuff quite a bit and it is an absolute dump it really is. It's it's about the least photogenic place <laughs> um, that you could you could ever really go. It's it's just like porter cabins and stuff. And some of the footage that Top Gear get out of that place is just remarkable. You know the filters that they put on the clouds and the the fast motion and stuff like that, and the way that they can cut things out of the frame. That you thought, how have they avoided filming that? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real talent. It is a real talent. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw um, the Boeing 747 they had on, the, on the, the airstrip there. And I remember thinking, how have they hidden that all this time? You know, they've been shooting cars going around there time and time again, lap after lap, hundreds probably. And they've managed to conceal one of the biggest airplanes in history. And it's, that, I suppose, is just one small indication to the untrained eye of how they're doing it all. That thing's got completely the wrong engines on it. If you look at it closely, it's got like two like paired engines hanging underneath the wing, which no 747 has ever had. So that thing's going nowhere. It's, n- it's never going to take off. Speaking of, um, you know, taking inspiration and maybe even homages from places, Sean, you're, of all of our videographers and editors, you're the one that likes to sneak in more than anyone little sort of calling cards and little um, tricks and things, styles lifted from other films. And you love that. Why, why do you do that? Is it, is it a bit of amusement, personal amusement? Or do you like the idea that people spot them and go, I know where he's got that idea from? I'm going to go back on what I just said before where I don't do homages. <laughs> but <laughs> look, I, was, I, I love movies more than anything, more than cars. Like that was always my first love. And, and growing up, I... Uh, I just I would watch movies every day and TV shows every day, and I still do. I I, I call that my education. It's a lot cheaper than a university degree. <laughs> um, but there's you know there's there's some there's a lot of movies that that pay homage to other movies. There's movies have developed a thing called Easter eggs, which is you know if you don't know what an Easter egg is, it's it's little nuggets of gold hidden throughout them. And so I feel that like when you can pay respect to those people that 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 have taught me everything I know and that. Talk that made me fall in love with cinema. I think that that's 
the biggest compliment that you can give those filmmakers. And, you know, like those those directors are probably never going to see the videos that we're making here, but uh, other people might see it and they, they see that it's just like a, a mutual respect type thing between uh, between our community, I guess. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to yeah, give, give that little bit back to say, I learned how to do this because of you and, and so here it is, thank you. And then it's a nice thing for people to notice. Like, I think there's probably three films that we've done together, Dan, that have Shaun of the, the, probably the same Shaun of the Dead reference, yeah. uh, <laughs> which, you know, like, it's just, it's such a silly thing, but it's, it's just, it's a great little gimmick. Um, and of course, like, you know, Edgar Wright in, with Shaun of the Dead and in, indeed Hot Fuzz, he borrowed that from other people, but, you know, that's, that's where I picked it up from. So, um, you know, we, uh, a bullet I did with the bullet Mustang with you, Andy, and that yep. whole film was an homage to the original film and to the whole '60s filmmaking style in, in general. You know, we had things that we that are considered, you know, absolute no-nos in today's filmmaking world, like crash zooms and whip pans and things like that. And that was what we built the whole film around was doing those sort of things. So, I think it's just it's nice it's respectful to those guys that have pioneered uh the industry and it's nice to be able to pay that back and it's nice for the viewers to be able to go oh i've seen that before and such and such but it's being able to visualize that in advance is is the the skill of of a good videographer i find because i've been out with some photographers who are very kind of laid back very laissez-faire it's like oh you know we'll just go out and drive i'll just snap things as we go along and at the end of that i'll have a product that works if you try that with video you always fail you, you've, yeah. you've got to have some structure to it beforehand some idea of what you're trying to create haven't you yeah i think so i think like uh, uh and i'm not dissing our photographers our photographers that we have at bauer are just probably three of the best photographers in the whole world when it comes to, to automotive photography but 100%. you know they're out and they'll snap 1500 2000 photos that will be whittled down to six or 12 shots for a magazine feature Whereas, you know, we go out and in the same amount of time that we're out shooting, we're going to shoot, you know, for argument's sake, an hour worth of footage in a day, which doesn't sound like we're doing a lot, but it is quite a lot to be then edited down to four minutes. But then you'd be surprised that we will use most of those that hours worth of footage to actually chop down to that four minutes of, of car film that you see on television. So, yeah, you do sort of have to make every shot count. You know, we're not out there with, a Marvel budget of $350 million to make this stuff. You know, we're, we're doing it fast and quick and uh, for a small budget. And and that forces us to have to be a bit more creative and utilize each shot, make each shot work. And if you've ever watched any of the things closely, any of the car films closely, most of the action shots that you see of cars belting around are probably the same location, just cutting at different points to, you know, make it look like it's a, it's a sequence of events. But we Unfortunately, you don't have the time to go and move across an entire continent to shoot something like that. You sort of have to make the most out of that. And each time you do a different shot, pick an angle that's going to complement the other angles, but that can help carry the story on. It's just a lot of uh, capitalising and making the most out of it. So yeah. We have to be on our game as well, because, you know, for a stills shoot, you can come through a corner and 90% of the corner can be completely rubbish and the car look great for 10% through that corner and the still shooter will make you look like a hero. Whereas if, if you're driving for video, it's, it's got to look good from start to finish. You can't, you can't bodge it. Yeah, there's something, there is something um, very real about video. You know, as I say, Photoshop can hide an awful lot in it, you know, when you've got all that time and, and 
um, resource to put into a single static image. But in video, of course, while you, you have many tricks up your sleeve and you constantly surprise me with the things you can do with a moving image, there's, there's less you can get away with. It has to be shot right on the day because you can't play with it so much. And that, I suppose, is another skill, isn't it? Is knowing when you've got the shot and, it, and it's right or being able to say, no, that's going to cause a headache in editing. Let's, let's do it again. And, the, and we do frequently take the same shots um, many times, don't we, for that exact reason? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're not a scripted program um, with Witchcar uh, and even the videos. Like we do, we have an outline script. You guys might have scripted an intro and an outro, but, um, you know, they're very loose and it is a lot of, of making it up as we go because, you know, you guys might get a car on a Monday. We're shooting on a Tuesday. You haven't had time to actually feel out the car and get a sense of what the car is like. So you have to, like, during the day as we're filming, you're building that um, that, that opinion of the car and your feelings and everything of the car. So we have to constantly evolve it. And, and yes, it does involve lots of takes sometimes. Um, sometimes, and, and more often than not, it's technical uh, things that cause us to redo it. The light goes away. The sound buggers up. There's all sorts of, of reasons, but yeah, it is. It's just once you, when you get it right, it, it is absolutely right. But there's a lot more wrong than there is right most of the time. I've, I've learned to decipher your, your, your subtle um, one more take uh, vocabulary because sometimes we, we'll do something with it. Oh, that, that was great. And uh, Sean will say, um, yeah, can we just try one more just from a different angle? And that, that, that is his uh, yeah. way of saying no, mate, I was completely rubbish. You almost exactly the same words out of my mouth. I was going to mention that the very next. Um, yeah, Sean's got this way of doing it. It's, it's a variation on exactly what you just mentioned, Danny, but um, we'll do a take and then he will say, oh, can we just do that again? I just didn't, I, I was out of focus or, or you know, I, I did something with the settings went right. <laughs> That's his way of saying, that was a really shitty takedown. Can we do it again? And it's brilliant. That sort of level of diplomacy is exactly what we need because, you know, I, I think we're all fairly sort of thick-skinned as presenters, but you, you can get a little bit sort of bummed by, you know, someone saying, that was terrible, do it again. So those little techniques really help me, certainly. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's like, there's a saying in the film industry, a happy, a happy crew is a, is a fed crew. Uh, and then yeah. when it comes to the talent, uh, it is a pampered talent is a happy talent. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, make, make them feel good and they'll work for you. They don't eat, like actors don't eat. So we don't need to worry about the food side of things. No, so we're talking about, um, really good about, about homages and things hidden in your, in your films and edits, Sean. And it's now made me wonder how many I've missed. Uh, you know, you always, if you're particularly <laughs> proud of one, you'll, you'll bring it to my attention. But I'm sure there's plenty that I just don't have the knowledge to, to pick up on. But there's just one, <clears throat> there's one instance, there's, there's too many anecdotes I could recount um, working with you. Um, but there's one that I really liked recently, and I know you'll really appreciate this one. It was as part of the, um, the process, we were very proud of a, a video we made for the, a segment for the TV show. Um, it was a zombie apocalypse themed review of two one-time newts shot on the Gold Coast. And we've been spending a lot of time refining this. It was a double segment and we were really proud of the premise and the lengths we'd gone to to get it. And it was down to one of the final um, production measures or steps. And that was adding in a little bit of voiceover um, of some uh, radio announcers or news announcers sort of uh, setting the whole sort of premise that the zombie apocalypse was unfolding um, globally. And one of our team at the time, Ed, was charged with the task of recording this voiceover. And you, you did it all without me present. And you added in the voiceover and then said, here we go, this is pretty much the last edit before it goes to our um, 
mastering and the final audio levels. And I listened to it, and the voiceover had been done in this ridiculously over-the-top Geordie accent that sort of bordered on ludicrous and definitely not convincing. And, and anyway, Sean comes up to me, or I went over to you guys and, and said, yeah, brilliant, all done, all good. Like, and you looked at me and said several times, really? Like, are you absolutely sure? Do you want to make any sort of changes? Anyway, in my mind, I was thinking, well, that voiceover was a bit shit, but we're so far down the track now. I really don't want to keep making more alterations and additions. And honestly, what I was thinking was, um, it's going to go to mastering. We wanted to put the voiceover through really heavy filters, didn't we? And make it sound like really crackly radio. And, and I thought, well, it's just not going to matter because, you know, you're not really going to be able to hear it that much. But you absolute bastard. You've done it deliberately to try and catch me out. And I totally fell for it. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on on the ups and downs of, of making that zombie segment. Um, yeah. But, yeah, with that particular one, you know, we, we were getting to the point where we were under the pump with it. Uh, it was coming up to April 1st, and I honestly thought that there was no way in hell this thing would actually go to TV. We hadn't actually shown any of our executive team the film at this point in time, yeah. and we were absolutely certain that they were just going to squash it and say, no way, we're not putting this on television. So I thought, I'll have a little bit of fun with it. And, yeah, I had Ed uh, emulate his his grandmother's accent, uh, and I thought it was just going to be like, uh, you know, I, th I thought, he's like, oh, she's from the north, so I thought it was going to be like, there's reports of, like, Reports of zombie outbreaks up north. <laughs> and he just went into this, yeah, this, this Geordie show. I don't know what it was, but uh, it was better than I could have hoped for. And your face, I could see you calculating. Do I say something? Do I not? Everything you just said, I could see that on your face. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh all the time. You no, 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 no. <laughs> so on the subject of uh, cinema and video and production of, of the moving image of cars, there is, a, there is sort of a current topic that, that fits in nicely to this. Um, a very famous film, 1960s film, or was it 70s, sorry, um, Rendezvous, or Cité and Rendezvous, to give it its full name. It was this a bit of a cult film that was made, um, 1976, by my notes, um, shot by Claude Lelouch, a French director. If you don't know the film, um, absolutely watch it. It's, it's really it, cult for a good reason. Um, it did something that no one really had done before, and that was they, the director mounted a camera on the front of his own car and drove it like an absolute maniac for a few minutes through Paris early one public holiday morning and captured one of the, the best, in inverted commas, car films um, to date. Uh, now, we could pick this to pieces, the original, and I feel we have to talk about that a little bit, but the reason we want to talk about it is because there is, on June 13th, a, an homage, a remake, in inverted commas, that's going to be released that was done in, um, uh, in conjunction with Ferrari. The reason being is that the car that was supposed to have done that drive through Paris was a 275 GTB. And uh, it wasn't, was it? It was actually done using a completely different car. Yeah, it was a Merck um, 450 SEL 6.9. Big old tank, um, big V8 thing. And I think they dubbed the, uh, the Ferrari noises onto it in post. But uh, it's a, when you look at it today, it's still quite a scary piece of footage to watch. You know, the guy drives, what, 10 and a half Ks through Paris at an average speed of... 80 kilometers an hour, he's on the pavement, he's going through red traffic lights, going the wrong way up, one-way systems. And there was only one spotter for him at one point on the track. And uh, she was uh, warning him about a blind corner, whether there are pedestrians around it or not. 
but the radio's packed up, so it, she was completely <laughs> pointless. And he just he just came around the thing in any case. But yeah, you'd never get away with any of that today, would you? Well, and that's the point. You wouldn't. And so the world being a very different place, so much more has had to have been put into this. Um, this they're calling it a remake, but it's not really a remake because it's happening in Monaco, or it happened in Monaco over the weekend when the Formula One race was supposed to to be um, hosted, but of course didn't for all of the reasons of the world at the moment. So yeah, they, they, they remade this film in a Ferrari SF90. This time they actually did it in a Ferrari. But of course the advantage of the modern world um, many years later is you have the sort of cameras that can be mounted on that car and the audio equipment and you can get decent shots and the, the right sound. The, the beauty of what Claude did back in the 70s was he knew that he had to have a car with more forgiving suspension than the actual Ferrari. So his Mercedes was perfect for it. And then he had to dub on afterwards. And you only spot it, I think, once, or you can listen to it once. There's a, there's a, a, a point where the, the revs don't quite match the, the, what the car's doing. But other than that, how, I mean, you guys have all tried to do, what's the term, Sean, when you add in voiceover to try and match what the um, Yeah, to, to match lips is, uh, it's called ADR. So it's, it's ADR. really like the, the talent watching a video and then nailing it exactly the same way that they said it on set on the day that, when they filmed it. That's hard <laughs> enough to do, like, just with your own voice. But you imagine trying to do that with the sound of a car that didn't make the sound originally. It must have been not impossible, which makes it all the more incredible. But anyway, um, the advantage, of course, now with modern cars, the SF90, it's gone through Monaco. The, the, the movie's out on the 13th of June. Do we think they will try and sneak in talking about homages again? Some of the little errors and... and um, characters of the original rendezvous in this remake are they going to have flapping pigeons leaping out of the way and things like yeah, that yeah <laughs> i want all that they have to, don't they did john woo direct it is that <laughs> <laughs> well they've got a better driver for the job haven't they it's uh charles leclerc isn't it yes so he should be able to pedal the car pretty well yeah i mean it's it's going to be absolutely bloody sensational and you know there are people hanging out of their balconies to watch the car go by they had a couple of cars i think um one performed as a tracking car at one point, which, you know, creates a whole other movie in itself. I'd love to see the footage of those cars chasing each other. Um, but, yeah, I, I absolutely cannot wait. As I say, June 13th, it's out. Um, as I say, commissioned by Ferrari, demon driver, unbelievable car, a plug-in hybrid from, from Ferrari showing what it can really do. Um, and I think it will become another cult classic, just like the original uh, Rendezvous. But then throwing it open to the, to the floor, guys, what, what are your favourite automotive moments in the moving image of cars? How long have we got? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, the obvious one for a lot of people and for me, I mean, the one that inspired me the most is Mad Max. Uh, Dan, I know you're a massive fan as well. <laughs> um, the, it's, it's everything about it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's the fact that the Interceptor is the Duck's Guts and uh, you know, it's the last <laughs> of the V8s. But, I mean, the way they shot it, the way they did it, they had no money. You know, George Miller had been a doctor, like a travelling doctor to raise money for it. They shot it out of the back of Melbourne with no permission um, to start with. And then towards the end, the cops liked what they were doing and actually jumped in and helped them. Could you imagine Victorian police abating any of that sort of stuff now? Uh, Absolutely. You know, it's... Everything about it is, is magical. And, you know, whilst a lot of people will say, oh, the second Mad Max is the better movie, it's, in my opinion, it's not because it doesn't have that sort of that magic and that, that gorilla feel that the original does. And I think that's the thing with this Rendezvous remake is that 
the original is special because it, it's so roll. Everything about it is yeah. roll. Um, and also that they, the, the, a GoPro in the 70s was the size of a minibar fridge. So, you know, <laughs> nowadays it's, like, <laughs> it's not going to be the same. Like they, they, they remade it. Or they, they were homaging it. They had like uh, closed streets. They had production crew and police assistants. And it's, it's going to be amazing to watch, but it's not going to have the same magic. Um, which is, I think, for me, that's why Mad Max is is so special because it is it's it's a magical film in terms of it should never have been allowed to happen, but it did. You know, it's much more knowing, isn't it? You know, now it's it's a little bit more cynical, a lot more knowing. You know, I, I looked at that season two of Drive to Survive, and it's different, isn't it, to season one because they all know now what what to yeah. expect and what to say. Yeah, they and definitely were not as forthcoming about season two as they were with season one. It's, yeah, it's lost the innocence a bit. Yeah, it's the reason that Sasha Baron Cohen only ever had a limited career as as Borat and Ali G, because yeah. as soon as people knew what he was up to, the whole magic was gone. But there was a film in between um, the original Rendezvous and the, the homages and remakes that we have of the modern cinema. Um, actually, a series of films. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. A Getaway in Stockholm. The first one was published or filmed in the year 2000. Um, and it took it it was uh so you know back in the year 2000 film hardware and equipment was not particularly compact um people were still using film and 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 handy cams strapped to cars and this bunch of um guys apparently the identity is still secret although you know people would know by now um went out in a porsche 911 it was a 930 turbo in the year 2000 on once again on a public holiday very early in stockholm drove a, a, a route that was absolutely stunning because of exactly what you're saying. It was a little bit naughty. They staged, I think it's fairly well known, the police that got involved in that particular video were, were actors. But what was certainly not acting was the driving. The driving, you know, 930 Turbo, not known for its sort of predictable nature, and especially on Stockholm's slightly damp, very early autumn roads, the driving is unquestionably brilliant. And that's what people bought and watched that video for. Not because it was a brilliant story. There was no story. It was just a guy driving like a maniac and when he shouldn't have been in a 930 Turbo. And since then, they've done pretty much another one every year. And it's kind of lost some of that magic. It's The second year was brilliant. They had a, a Ford Escort um, Cosworth um, up against a Toyota Supra. And it was kind of, then it became a bit of a street race. And then, but as the years went on, and I've really only seen sort of, I think the first six, they, they became a little bit too sort of manufactured and a, too, a bit too polished. And, and what we want is, I think what we're all in agreement here is that raw nature of someone doing something a bit naughty and uncharted for the first time yeah could you say the same about the ken block videos that they started out a bit ghetto and a bit raw and it just became bigger bigger budget more polished and i think so lost the appeal a little bit for me yeah yeah i'd agree with that there's still again you can apply the same theory that there's no questioning the ability in ken block's drive you know to be able to do any of those stunts is is no matter how many takes or how many closed roads you've got. It's, that's the magic for me and why I think that's still one of the greatest. But as you say, as the years have gone by, people kind of know what to expect and, and it then becomes the duty of the production company to up the ante, make it more spectacular and, and perhaps more ludicrous in ways. The, if you, one thing that I've always thought was a calling card of Ken Block being a really world-class driver is in some of the shots, you can see lots and lots of tyre marks where 
he's clearly had to have a crack quite a few times. But every now and then you'll see one where there's no tire marks at all and you know it was the first bloody take. And that, for me, is, is the true mark of a genius. Um, for me, I think, you know, growing up, I never saw the Mad Max films. I still haven't. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, what? The, the film... Oh, that's it. No, I've never, I've never seen a Mad Max film. The DVD's in the post. <laughs> Um, the film for me that really, really grabbed my attention as a kid was the original Cannonball Run, and most specifically the intro to Cannonball Run, where you know the Lamborghini Countach just pulls out and just goes, and, and the sound of that engine. You know, when you're a little kid in the UK, you you've never seen a Lamborghini Countach, you've never heard one, and just to hear one going at full noise was just whoa! <laughs> it was Absolutely. really something. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. A couple of my other favourites. Nurburgring. There's there's a really nice video. Um, I think it's Tim Schrick driving uh, in the Nurburgring in snow in a nine eleven. Um, wow, I've not seen that. Oh, oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely lovely. The, the it's just absolutely pristine powder snow on on the ring. Oh, and, uh, wow. the, the car is just dancing. It's so balletic, and then the interior shots of the driver, he's flapping like a pigeon in a box yeah. <laughs> at the wheel. He's really working this thing. But like you say, he's getting it first take because the snow is absolutely untracked and he's coming through these corners. Oh, wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's yeah. unfakeable marks in these films. Well, Andy, I mean, you, with, with more laps of the Nürburgring under your belt than pretty much every other Barrow Media journalist put together, that would have a particularly special significance for you. Um, speaking of the Nürburgring and, and motorsport, I suppose, you know, motorsport is where generally you see the, the very ragged fringes of driving and what people and cars are, are capable of doing together, which is why perhaps... There's not so many cult videos or involving sort of motorsport feats, but the the one um, that I really do think sort of crosses that boundary between feasible on-road driving and also the motorsport realm is, of course, Climb Darts, and that's another very famous film. Oh. Um, Ari Vardner at the wheel of a Peugeot 405 T16. Um, that still is one of those that now Ken Block has done an homage to. Um, people have tried to sort of recreate, but there's there's... You cannot fake and dramatise the skill that Ari has to do that in, in, in you know, the, one of the most gruelling hill climb races in the world, if not the most. And I think that's probably my final um, contribution I'll weigh in for that. That is such a cool one. Um, the fact that it's all tarmac now and not dirt means that you can't recreate what he did. And yeah. the way he's driving, he's just butting that car straight into Apex. He's shoveling dirt out the way, driving into the sun with his hand up like that. It, it's, he it doesn't lift, does he? It's just, just intoxicating to see that guy drive on yeah. the upper, still upper don't, section of Pikes Peak. Yeah. Still don't use my actual sun blinds in the car. Uh, if, if I can get away with it, I'd still do the old, you know, hand up, you know, just, just as a little nod, if I can get away with it. Just a really quick one. Um, I loved the, the Senna movie. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, yeah, the, my favourite motorsport thing is probably the, just that clip of uh, Villeneuve and Arnoux like, racing against each other, just overtaking each other. Yeah. Um, very, very, very cool bit of F, old F1 footage. And uh, you know, while, while we're talking about car-related cinema masterpieces, obviously you can't go past Days of Thunder and Tom Cruise. You know, <laughs> <laughs> 
That was not a genuine contribution. I feel I have embarrassed myself and we have to wind things up again, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Andy Enright, uh, our regular, and also on the chat today, Sean Lander, uh, videographer and video wizard extraordinaire. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. That's it. That's it for another week. Thank you for listening in. There are plenty of others. We are up to 59, I believe now, which means there's a huge stockpile of us and our general ranting and raving about automotive things. Uh, Listen back to get some morsels. Um, And if you're the more forward-looking kind of personality, then there'll be plenty more to come. Get in touch via the website, whichcar.com.au, where you can find all the stories and videos we've been talking about. Uh, And if that's not your style, then uh, Facebook at whichcarau, or for all the other socials, just at whichcar. My name's Daniel Gardner. Until next time, stay safe on the roads out there and enjoy our new relaxed uh, restrictions. Get out there, have a drive, and enjoy, and stay safe. Thanks for listening.